and welcome back to the Grindhouse Girls podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Katie. My co-host is Brittany, and this is a podcast about many strange and spoopy movies. We cover a lot of independent movies and a lot of horror movies, and we do want to caution before starting the podcast that listener discretion is advised, and a lot of subject matter we cover is not appropriate for children and can be quite sensitive. So if that sounds like something that's up your alley, keep on listening. If not, thanks for stopping by and on to the podcast. Hi, I'm Katie. And hey there, I'm Brittany. And this is the Grindhouse Girls podcast. And tonight we are here to reanimate you. (laughs) Hello. So yes, this week. On Grindhouse Girls, we are doing the 1985 cult classic Reanimator, which was actually Katie's choice. So, Katie, I'm sure you you would love to start us off a little bit about this movie. Sure. Yes, Britt actually had a very good idea for a very uh, somber film that I've been wanting to see for a long time. But I recently had a death in the family and couldn't handle it. So Britt was like, well, why don't we pick something fun? So I picked Reanimator. Which um, is a movie that I have been interested in since I saw it on Bravo Scariest Movie Moments, which is what a lot of the movies we watch were on that. And um, I've always wanted to see it. There's a very risque scene in it that everyone always talks about. And it always piqued my interest, not because of what happens in it, but I was just like, what is this movie? And it is a horror comedy written by... Stuart Gordon and directed by Stuart Gordon, uh, who also was in the writing team for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which never ceases to make me laugh. Um, But Stuart Gordon is actually a person who started out in theater in, I believe, Wisconsin, in Madison, Wisconsin. He started theater, like a a very, like, on-the-edge kind of theater, like, very risky and violent and like just kooky and like out there but like experimental theater was really his thing and um you see a lot of those influences in this movie um and also the follow-up movie which is not really a sequel um but is kind of a spiritual successor called from beyond which stars a couple of the stars from this movie um but um, he also shared writing credits with William Norris and Dennis Paoli. I might be saying that wrong, but that's, I think, how you pronounce his name. Um, and it is a kind of a body horror slash comedy slash, like, science movie about um, an H.P. Lovecraft story. It's based on some H.P. Lovecraft stuff um, called Herbert West. Reanimator is the original um, short story, and I think it was like in six or eight parts originally. Yeah. And, mm-hmm, from Weird Stories, I think, is where it was originally published. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm I Lovecraft has kind of had a resurgence with, resurgence with Lovecraft Country, the television show. Um, and this is one that I don't think people really think of this as a Lovecraft thing. It wasn't one of his bigger ones but I was reading up about Lovecraft and he really wasn't that popular when he was alive anyways people really didn't get into Lovecraft until he was dead and he was a very 
weird person. He had a very strange childhood. And um, I think we mentioned this before, but I find it kind of a cool thing that the main characters in Lovecraft Country are all African-American. It's a, like a, specifically a group of African-American families that it's based on. But he had some not very nice things to say about black people, Irish Catholics, and there was one other group of, and I can't remember, but I was reading up on him. He was like, he really didn't like Irish Catholics or black people, apparently. But he kind of like, he was very weird. He was a weird man, and he started out being kind of a racist, and then he kind of turned into not being so much a racist as a, uh, what, uh, like a classist. And he thought smart people, like scientists, were like better than everybody else. So, I don't know. H.P. Lovecraft was a strange man, but he did write some really cool and interesting stories. So, interesting, but kind of a strange and maybe not so wonderful dude, if that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah. And I, I would say that now, like, what most people probably know H.P. Lovecraft is for the Cthulhu mythos. And mm-hmm. I don't know about you, Katie, but I did have at least one friend in college that was obsessed with Cthulhu and probably talked about him a lot. So... <laughs> the old ones. Um, but Lovecraftian horror is actually a huge thing. You see a lot of writers inspired by it. So, like, even Stephen King and It um, is largely, there's some Lovecraftian horror, which is, like, this idea of, like, monsters older than time. So, I mean, Lovecraft has... Oh, yes, turtles. The old ones. Um, but, the like, yeah. So, it's like, Lovecraft has really had a stamp on horror even if we don't always recognize like his influence there's there's a lot of horror mm-hmm. films that have an underbelly of lovecraftian horror to it which i think is really cool um so the herbert west reanimator stories that uh, katie was talking about i was actually reading like little synopsis because it is like eight different stories and this whole movie has like elements of each of those little stories in it mm-hmm. um and they actually i don't know if you read this katie you may have read this too that they had originally wrote this as a play and then they're like how about we film it as a pilot and then they're gonna film it as a pilot and they're gonna have it set in the turn of the century and then they're like oh it's too expensive to film it at the turn of the century let's set it in modern day and then someone was like oh no it won't work as a pilot you need to make this as a feature-length movie which is where they got them set up um with brian was it brian yeah brian Yuzin, who uh mm-hmm. yuzna who mm-hmm. produced the film so it was like it went through it went through multiple hands and changes over what it would eventually become this movie and you probably saw this too it eventually did become a play again so they did end yeah. up teaming back up to write it as a not play not just a play so. a musical which i think i mentioned in my hallow stream list because that got me so excited i first heard about that red letter media who i love um, reviewed Reanimator and From Beyond, which I still have not been able to find from Beyond streaming. Um, hopefully I will soon because I've been wanting to watch it for such a long time. Um, but they said like they turned it into a musical, much like if you've ever seen Evil Dead the musical, it kind of looks like it's those veins. And I think it musical would really work for this because it is very campy. It's a very campy horror movie. Although there are some really disturbing bits. I'm like there are a couple scenes that get me. Um, but it's mostly fun. Like, I was trying to explain it to my parents. Like, I was, they were like, what's Reanimator about? I was like, it's kind of a horror comedy. It's pretty light and just kind of gross. And then there's a terrifying 
scene of something that in real life would be extremely scary and is acted very realistically and really scarily and uh does still make me like cringe every time i watch it like i was because <laughs> i was on a uh, I, we had to go out of town don't worry we wore masks and we're as socially distant as we possibly could be for a funeral um but i was out of town at a funeral and we were driving back and i was watching it on my cell phone as i was coming back because i was like i because i'd watched it recently but i just i always like to watch it a couple times before we review it and I was just like, I felt embarrassed because we were like at a traffic jam and there was like some disturbing content happening. And I was like, I better hold my phone so no one in the next lane knows what I'm watching because I don't know if there's children next to me because it's highly disturbing. Um, but I really like this. And I, I like I said, think I said the last time, like, I would love to produce the musical. I would love to see what that music sounds like because that's the only thing like, I haven't listened to this, the music for the musical. But I've seen a couple videos of it, and um, it, it looks pretty funny. And it, it's very, like, uh, sarcastic and punny humor in this movie, and I believe in the play as well, which I'm all for puns, frankly, and little quips. I love it. Um, also, I will say Jack from Red Letter Media pointed out that this movie kind of starts like an episode of The Simpsons, and just kind of goes off the rails like any episode of The Simpsons where, like, there's a tiny little thing that happens and then it kind of goes off the rail. Um, I do think this movie is like that, but it, it's more of... You kind of know it's going to go off the rails from the very first scene. <laughs> yeah. I would agree with that. Um, so I was about to say, do you kind of want to give us a little bit about the characters in a synopsis? Let yeah, let's let's do a bit of a synopsis and characters, definitely. Um, so <clears throat> oh, also, ironically, because I'm about to mention it, this was the first HP Lovecraft story to mention Miskatonic University in Arkham, Massachusetts, um, which is a fictional university that is in a lot of recurring Lovecraft stories based in quote-unquote Lovecraft Country, which is just kind of like the fake map he made up for all the little, you know, towns and locations in his stories that intersected. Kind of like Middle Earth, y'all. It's not... <laughs> or, uh, or Westeros in Game of Thrones, but not as big. It's definitely in America, and it's definitely in New England. Um, more like, I guess it's more akin to Stephen King's version of Maine. So, anyways, so... At Miskatonic University in Arkham, Massachusetts, the idyllic campus lives of compassionate but naive medical student Dan and his loving and intelligent fiancée Meg are interrupted with the dean's introduction of Herbert West, a brilliant new student on the brink of discovery and madness in the pursuit of defeating the ultimate enemy, death. So we've got a few characters there are more than just a few characters there's some funny side characters but there's really about five main ones and um i find it interesting that the main actor jeffrey combs um who you you might recognize his voice but not so much his face he did a lot of star trek work he did a lot of different characters on deep space nine and the subsequent um, like Enterprise and a couple other, not so much new ge next generation. I don't think he was in next generation, but like the late nineties, early two thousands Star Trek television series. 
He played a lot of different parts, mostly aliens with heavy makeup jobs, but his voice is very familiar to a lot of people, and he really makes this movie, but Jeffrey Combs stars as Herbert West, although he's the last person in the credits because, I don't know, I guess Dan's kind of more of the main character, but Herbert is definitely the catalyst for everything happening. Um, Herbert West, he's a hey, young- Hey, Katie? Mm-hmm? I'm so sorry to interrupt. Is it Dan or Dean? It's Dan. Is is it Dan Kane or Dean Kane? It's Dan, but it's Dean Halsey. Okay, that's what I'm like. Oh my god! I was like, I w- thank you because I know, was like, oh my god. I bet you were thinking of the actor Dean Kane because there's an action. Remember the actor Dean Kane okay. used to play Superman, and yes. now he's in really yes. bad Christian movie and like a Hallmark movies. He's always in every Hallmark movies. Me and my ex boyfriend used to. Like, have a very Dean Kane Christmas, because we'd watch all the terrible Hallmark movies that he was in. Uh, he's in some doozies. He's not a terrible actor. It's just, I don't think he, I think he's one of those actors that's just kind of like, you know what? I'm just going to do me some, like, four Hallmark movies this year and pay the bills off and then just kind of retire the rest of the year. Uh, but yeah, there isn't really a Dean Kane in real life. So you were, you were right. I'm so sorry. No, I okay. mean, I, I, was like, I kept thinking it too, honestly. <laughs> I was like, I think it's D. Okay, it's I'm Dan, so sorry. Uh, continue on. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's fine. I think it's funny. Um, so Herbert West is a young medical student, which basically he's bordering on brilliant and insane. Uh, he is absolutely obsessed with defeating death with his reagent of reanimation. And he, you meet him in an interesting way because he is in a i don't know the opening scene to me is very abrupt in the movie like i kind of forgot how abrupt it was but there's an opening scene where they're in switzerland and you see uh the swiss police all um knocking on this door and saying dr gruber mr west let us in and then they come inside They break inside the door, and Herbert West is, like, standing next to Dr. Gruber, who is this other scientist, and his face is, like, exploding. Like, his eyeballs explode. And they're like, oh my god, you killed him. And then he very dramatically turns to the camera and says, no, I did not. I gave him life. Which is kind of on par for the rest of the movie. You know? It's It's very big and theatrical, and I love it. Um, I mean, everyone knows they're being theatrical, too. That's the best part. It's like, Jeffrey Combs knows he's hamming it up, and it's fine. Like, I think the other, there's another character who also kind of overdoes some stuff, but it's, like, for dramatic effect. And I think this is such a silly plot line. If they didn't kind of overact everything, I think it would be kind of, like, unbelievable. Oh, no, I was about to say, I think that's, like, the joke of the movie, too, is that, like, they're playing it so serious when it's so, like outrageously silly like i think that's like what makes the that's what's part of the charm of the movie it's kind of like trash but the actors are also aware of it and because they're aware of it they're having so much fun with it and that's what makes the film so enjoyable yeah i I think it kind of reminds me of psycho like because i think we talked about this when you mentioned psycho on your list like hitchcock was trying to shock people he wanted to make a trashy movie because he wanted to shock people and he ended up making a horror classic. And I think, you know, when you take yourself too seriously, 
things come off really weird. But when you kind of seriously take it very sillily, things can, like, really come off really well. I think of, like, Napoleon Dynamite, which is a stupid movie. But Napoleon Dynamite, no one's really... Everyone's, like, underacting in Napoleon Dynamite. Like, no one acts like a real person. They all act like a, people on Xanax. Except for maybe um, Haley Duff, who plays Summer. Like, she kind of acts like a real person, but all, like, the main characters are just like, hey, what's going on? And, I mean, like, it, it brings you into their world. And that's kind of, like, this world is a world of heightened reality. Uh, Herbert West is a very heightened personality. Dr. Uh, Hill is a very heightened personality, but then uh, Dan and Meg are kind of just like normal people, which I kind of like. They have moments of absurdity, but they're pretty like grounded characters, which is why they're really the main characters. And so Dan is kind of like an all-American, handsome medical student. And I love that there's this brilliant foreshadowing in this writing. Because even though it's a silly movie, there's some beautiful foreshadowing. The first time you see Dan is immediately after the opening credits. Which has music that sounds almost exactly like the Psycho music. Please go and listen to them back to back. Because it sounds like the same music. It's hilarious that no one's ever been sued for it. I'm totally stealing that from... Red Letter Media's review, but it's true. I listened to it. It sounds like the same music. I don't know. Did you get that vibe when you started watching this oh, movie yeah. when it started? Yeah, oh, I was like, God. I was like, yes, it sounds like the exact same music. Yes. There's maybe a couple chord changes or like how, like the tempo maybe changes, but I'm like, it's like the same music, but whatever. It's fine. You, you steal from the things you love, right? I should also say at this point, because this plot goes by uh, so quick, this movie is so short and sweet. It's like 85 minutes, um, and that includes like the credits. Um, we're probably going to get into spoiler territory really fast here. Um, so I wanted to say before Katie continues her like breakdown, um, it is on Shudder. Please go watch it. It is a classic. It is body horror. There is graphic violence. There is some mm-hmm. stuff with sexuality we'll get into in a little bit. But yeah, great movie. If those things don't bother you, which if you're listening to a horror podcast, they probably don't. Go watch it, <laughs> then come back and listen. Okay, and please continue. The only There's only one scene that really feels triggering, and it is a trigger for rape. So, uh, and honestly, it is... It's a hard scene. I mean, I, I will explain it later, but I'm just saying, like, if rape triggers you uh there you could probably skip through that scene it'll be pretty obvious when you get to it um but i would skip through that scene maybe because that is pretty triggering for some people i'm sure it doesn't completely trigger me but it does make me feel very uncomfortable when that scene comes along and i don't think i'm not gonna say who was raped or what is happening but you know um it's just it's a little triggering but everything else is pretty uh goofy enough that it, even if it's disgusting it's not like triggering so i guess yeah trigger warning on rape (laughs) it's not fun um sorry i don't i'm not trying to glib rape it's not okay anyways but i just want to give everybody a trigger warning just because i'm like i don't want anyone to watch this and then get triggered and have to go to an extra therapy session because i know therapy's not cheap guys i feel ya. me too um anyways um uh where was i okay so Mm, yes so there is some brilliant foreshadowing when we first meet dan 
Dan's a medical student, and the first time we meet him is right after the credits, after all the psycho music, I mean, not psycho music, plays. And Dan is desperately trying to save a patient's um, life. They've coded, he will not stop doing CPR and using the paddles to resuscitate her, and she ha- is dead. Like, she's completely dead, she's not being resuscitated. And one of the doctors is like, Dan, you have to stop. A good doctor has to know when to stop. Which is also, like, a lot of foreshadowing for the movie. Like, the second time you watch it, you're like, wow, what? they just put everything in it right up front. But you don't know it the first time you see it. But you, you find out that Dan is a compassionate person. He wants to save lives. Um, and he will not give up even if it seems like the end is, like, bleak. Like, even if he thinks somebody is not worth saving, he's still going to try, which is admirable. But, you know, when you're working in an emergency room, sometimes you're not going to be able to save everybody. And I think that's a tough lesson a lot of doctors have to learn and medical professionals have to learn that you can't save everybody. And it's heartbreaking. Um, And you get all that from just, like, the first scene with Dan. It's just, like, he's he's uh, compassionate. He wants to save lives, and then he uh, runs into his fiance Meg. And Meg, her last name is Halsey. Megan Halsey. She's an English major, but she kind of wields some dual roles as uh, Dan's fiance, and she's a very supportive, like fun person. She's very smart. She sees through Herbert West's facade before anyone else does. And she's played by the incomparable um, Barbara Crampton, who has a fearless performance in this movie. She also is in From Beyond, which is the unofficial sequel. And she kind of came out of acting retirement to do Your Next. Yes, I think she, she sure plays does. the mom yep. in Your Next. So uh, she's a she's she's a cool lady, and she's a horror icon. Um, and you'll know why when we get to some later scenes. Why she is she turns this like could be really boring character into someone with a lot of substance and heart um and i really like her performance i think she's really one of the best parts of it um and also bruce abbott plays dan i forgot to say that i'm sorry bruce abbott plays dan um so then through megan's dad the dean because uh she's dan's fiance but her dad is his boss because her dad is the dean of medicine at Miskatonic University. So his dad's like, hey, Dan. Hey, Meg. Uh, here's this new student, Herbert West. Uh, and then he, Herbert West, like, basically starts rooming with Dan um, kind of weirdly and forcefully. And Megan's like, um, I don't really think this is a good idea. But she's trying not to be rude because she's, like, a nice person. But she's trying not to be rude. So she's like... Um, yeah, maybe we should get back to you. And Dan's just gonna look, it's fine, whatever. Yeah, and that's a, and, that's, uh, that's how he kind of that's, gets into that's their That's the scene that bothered me too, because like it very much reminded me of something that would happen with me and Taylor. Because like Herbert literally busts into the house, like comes in the middle of the night, almost kind of thing. Like she's literally about to leave. It's definitely late at night. Um, and he comes in and he goes to the basement. He's like, "Does this have a basement?" And then it's like he goes to the basement. He's like, "Oh, this is perfect." And he's like, "I would like to rent." And it's like, "Oh, I don't know." And he pulls out a wad of <laughs> he's so he, weird. Yeah, and he's all his yeah. Money. He pulls out the wad of cash. And Megan's literally like, okay, just because he has the wad of cash does not make this, like, automatically any better. And Dan's like, yeah, okay, and sticks it in his pocket. And I'm like, if that isn't Taylor fucking Ray right there, like, (laughs) 
<laughs> Wait, yeah, which Taylor one is Taylor? Be, Dan Taylor would definitely be Herbert. Dan. Taylor would be like, it's okay. It's a lot of money. This okay. will help us out. Like, that, yeah. Definitely. So. <laughs> uh, but that's, you know what? I think Dan is a nice person, though. Like, but he needs Meg. Because it's very obvious that Meg has a very good head on her shoulders. But she's also, like, her dad's kind of old-fashioned. And even though her dad likes Dan... Like, she can't spend the night at his house because her dad's really old-fashioned. And so, like, the whole reason she's, like, running into Herbert West is because she's like, I gotta go home. It's, like, 10 o'clock. My dad's gonna freak out. He's like, I mean, who cares? Because they're, like, engaged and her dad likes him. But she's just like, you know, I just don't think, like, he's just old-fashioned. And and she's very sweet. She's like, I'm gonna support you until you become an MD. And then once you get your MD, we're gonna get married that day. And we'll be together. She's very supportive. And she's like, she's like, just be patient. Things will happen. She's such a good girlfriend. She gets the best girlfriend or whatever. Um, or fiance, whatever you want to say. And she's just like a cool chick. And like, they have a very fun relationship. Like, they're kind of joking around. And they do do a very funny um, scene transition. Because like, Dan kind of comes up behind Meg the first time you see her. And he's like, trying to make out with her. And she's like, no, no. And then, like, it cuts to them in bed. She's like, yes, yes. And I was like, that was, that was pretty funny, guys. That was, that was some good humor there. Um, but, I like, he's, like, pretending to be a zombie and chase her, which I was like, oh, God, foreshadowing. Ha, ha, ha. But um, they have a cute relationship. And you're like, oh, these two crazy kids. I hope everything's okay for them. But then Herbert West walks in the door, and it's not. Um, and the only other really main character are – Although there are other ones. Oh, by the way, Robert Sampson plays Dean Halsey. Totally forgot to say that. Um, but the the only other character that's really important, although there are some cool minor characters, is David Gale as Dr. Carl Hill, who is a selfish and egotistical plagiarist of a doctor. Um, he teaches neurology and neurosurgery at Miskatonic University, and he's, uh, Dean Halsey calls him, I think, the, the money, like the money getter. Like, he gets them all the, oh, the grant, the grant machine or something like that. Because he gets them a bunch of grant money. And um, he has a weird secret obsession with Meg, which is especially creepy because he and Dean Halsey are, like, BFFs. And Meg, because it's obvious that either her mom has passed away or just isn't in the picture anymore, she's kind of, like, the hostess for her dad. Because, you know, a lot of, like, first ladies, like, either... Like, university presidents' wives are, you know, they're kind of like a, a first lady role. But if you, if your wife's passed away, it kind of goes to your child, I guess. Um, or there's been, I can't remember which president it was, but there, was it Theodore Roosevelt? Wasn't he single when he was president? And, like, his niece or something was, like, basically the first lady for him, but she had yeah. to, like, host everything. It's kind of like that. Like, Meg kind of does all the hosting. So, it's, it's very creepy. Because you can tell that. Dr. Hill's weird and um he and Herbert West automatically don't get along because Herbert West is like oh yeah you basically plagiarized uh Dr. Gruber um who I was working with in Switzerland um and I think you're incorrect about the um brain death time limit um because he's like six to twelve minutes and he's like "Mm, I think you're small-minded and weird and they've got this weird rivalry going on also fun fact uh Dr. Gruber's name is Hans Gruber. Like the bad guy in Die Hard. That's funny. 
which this movie came first, but I do find it hilarious. I don't, I don't, like, I have never heard any of the reviews I've watched mention if that was on purpose or if it's just a funny coincidence. Um, but it makes me laugh now every time they say Dr. Gruber, because I'm like, like, Alan Rickman? Like, is Alan Rickman just going to come on over? I miss Alan Rickman. Um, anyways, so do you want to take over for a hot second, Britt? Because I'm going to take a sip of yeah, my coffee. Yeah, so yeah. So um, basically, Herbert um, moves in. Um, yeah, I feel bad because I, I blank. But I guess, I guess I'll get to the park that we know that, um, that Dan has a cat. And um, I believe the cat's named Rufus. Am I yes, Rufus. And Rufus. so, like, Rufus literally jumps on him at one point. So Rufus is like a playful little black kitty cat. And um, Meg, um, like, is very paranoid about Herbert being there. Like, she senses something is off with him. And so she gets in her head. She's just like, well, where's Rufus? Where's Rufus? I haven't seen Rufus all day. And she's, like, doing the... And looking for Rufus. And literally my cat was like, meow? Like, what? And um, and so she goes into <laughs> Herbert's yes. room. And incidentally, in just the weirdest kind of way it's set up, but it's because it's so campy. Um, the fridge is kind of open like a little mini fridge and she opens the fridge and there's Rufus and he's dead in the <laughs> fridge, uh, with the, um, what, what did, yeah, what did they call like... the, uh, serum, the serum, the, um, what did they call the serum that he uses again? Reagent. Is there yeah, re- his, re-agent. his reagent. And we don't know at the time what the reagent is. It's like a very bright green, like a very electric green color, but she screams and Herbert's like, I don't yeah. like people in my room. What are you doing in my room? Like, he's just so good at being so fucking weird and overacting. And then Dan literally is just <laughs> like, just tells them both to shut up because they're arguing. And he's like, oh, Rufus. And um, he's like, oh, he suffocated. And I put him in the fridge and I couldn't just leave a note. And you're just like, it's a very weird situation. But for me, I just felt, I had saw this movie. It is. And this is what's so weird. It's like I had seen this movie so many years ago that uh, there was a few things that I like. Did I make this up? Like, where did? And one of them I'll touch on towards the end. Um, but one of the things I do remember is that I was so scared of Rufus. Like, I was literally terrified of Rufus. <laughs> well, he does get yes. scarier later. <laughs> yes. I love though that. That Herbert West is like, what was I supposed to say? Leave a note. Cat dead. Details later. <laughs> and just like, okay. Also, he's like, I've been pushing bodies around the morgue, as you well know. And you're just like, okay. <laughs> Nobody talks like this, but all right. Also, nowadays, I don't know if this was the influence for this, but it reminds me of if you've ever seen The Office, which I know Britt has because Taylor is obsessed with The Office, I do believe. Um, me too. There is the season four fun run episode. Angela has a cat. His name is Sprinkles. And Sprinkles is diabetic and very sickly. And Dwight decides to put Sprinkles out of its misery by (laughs) feeding it antihistamines to make it pass out. And then putting it in the fridge so it can, like, freeze to death. And Angela finds out. He just tells her, like, he died of natural causes and he put her in the freezer so that, like, she wouldn't rot while they were at work. And then Angela's, like, like does an autopsy. <laughs> she's like, she's like, oh my god, you killed Sprinkles. And he was like, 
No, I fed her antihistamines and sang her her favorite lullabies. And she's like, and then she threw them up and she froze to death. And he's like, well, that wasn't my part of the plan. And you're just, it's a great scene. Anyways, Dwight kills Angela's cat. And that's why they break up in the fourth season. And then eventually they get back together. But uh, that is a catalyst for some pretty funny scenes between Angela and Dwight. And honestly, Dwight has an amazing character arc that season. Because he's, like, very upset about his relationship ending. But he kind of, like, gets to be a better person. Like, the next couple seasons, he's less weird and creepy. Um, Anyways, sorry for the office sidetrack. It's just watching this movie, I was like, I wonder if if somebody saw Reanimator and was like, you know what would be funny? If we killed Angela's cat and put it in the freezer. Yeah, it's like... Because who would do that? It's so messed up. Dwight. It's definitely a dark humor Um. moment. And that's what... So later that night... Dan is, like, laying in bed, and he hears, like, this horrific screeching sound that's, like, very, and um, it's, like, animal-like, uh, it's just scary, and so he follows the noise to the basement, and, of course, there's Herbert in the basement being weird, uh, fighting off something, and we realize it's Rufus, <laughs> and Rufus has been reanimated, and Rufus is very obviously a puppet, a bloody puppet, but it's still very scary-looking. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. The guy that did the the main FX person, his name is John Carl Buechler. I'm not sure if I'm saying his last name correctly. He just died last year, which is very sad because he wasn't that old. Um, but he also worked on Friday the 13th, Troll from Beyond, which was the sequel to this. Ghoulies, which I think was the movie that made, like, the monster movie like, creepy crawly movie that made a bunch of money that let Brian Usna produce some of these movies. Um, but he also did FX for the Garbage Pail Kids movie, which if you've ever seen the Garbage Pail Kids movie, it's, like, gross. Like, just gross. And, like, I see a lot of the influence in this movie. I'm like, oh, yeah, that does seem like the same guy. Seems like the same work. Yeah. Because um, it's kind of cartoony, but... Also, there are some bits that are really gross, um, and I do think the cat scene is very well directed because instead of just showing you the cat the whole time, like, they do show you the cat eventually, they use, like, the light, and they, like, you, they're, like, talking about it, and I think that's why it probably would have been done very well as a play because, like, you could have staged that and never had an actual cat. You know, like, you could just have it off stage and be like, oh, my God, it's Rufus. Um, The way they play with the lighting and there's, like, a swinging light. And so you never really see the cat until it's, like, unable to move around or if it's on, like, somebody's back. I think, like, it's a really cool way to direct a scene and not need as much special effects. Or, like, nowadays, it's, like, to cut down the computer-generated images, which always, almost always look pretty fake. Um, so I, I think the directing really shows in that scene because it's, it is kind of suspenseful. You're like, what the fuck is that? You're like, oh shit, it's Rufus. Um, and then they, (laughs) they end up like breaking Rufus's back and, uh, Dan's like, well, obviously he wasn't actually dead the first time. He's like, nope. And then she, it was just a funny scene where he's like, will you agree that he's dead? And he just kind of like tosses Rufus's body around, which is disturbing. Uh, so yeah, trigger warning for animal violence, I guess, too. But also, like, it's pretty obvious it's a puppet. I will say it's very fake looking because, you know, I get very easily. So 
I've recently rewatched the thing, and I literally had to look up uh, background information on John Carpenter's The Thing just to make sure the dogs weren't injured because it's so realistic. This is not realistic at all. You can tell this is very obviously like a puppet cat. So that is the one thing I'll say. Sorry, go on. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of that scene in Dogtooth that we were so afraid to watch, but then it ended up being like pretty fake looking like at the mm-hmm. end. Like at first I was really scared. I was like, nah, it's not a real cat. I mean, it was a real cat, but like they didn't actually hurt a real cat. Um... Yeah, and one of the good lines he says is like, don't expect it to tango, it's got a broken back. And you're just like, oh god, okay. There's a lot of really funny, quippy one-liners, and I love it. Um, But basically, he does reanimate Rufus a third time, and um, Dan's like, oh shit, this actually works. And Meg comes down and sees it, and is like, oh my god, what's wrong with Rufus, and blah, blah, what's happening? Um, And Dan kind of does the right thing, and goes to the dean, and is like, listen, this is a miracle. This is so cool. Um, and he tells him what's going on. And the Dean's like, I don't want to hear about it. I think you're crazy. But he does like, he basically kicks Herbert West out of the university, but he tells Dan, like, if you write an apology, it's fine. But he also, you understand that, um, Dan is not as financially secure as Meg and her father are because like he threatens to take his student aid away and he's like, well, yeah, he threatens to take his student loans away, which I don't understand how you can do that because usually the university doesn't approve your loans. It's not like he's on scholarship, you know, but whatever. And he's like, but then I won't be able to afford it. So Dan is driven by stability. And he knows that, like, if he doesn't become a stable person, if he doesn't get his MD and if he's not successful, that Meg, there's a chance Meg won't stay with him. To please her father. Which, I don't know, Meg doesn't seem to be very, um, like, snobby at all. She seems to be pretty chill. So, I don't really understand. I don't think she actually would do that. But, you know. Um, basically, he is threatened expulsion. And there is a scene, I can't remember if it's before or after the scene, where Meg's kind of hosting a dinner with Dr. Hill and her dad. And, um... You get a really weird vibe from Dr. Hill. Dr. Hill's teaching a class. Um, The actor who plays Dr. Hill has a fabulous voice. Very beautiful speaking voice. He unfortunately died, like, I think seven years after this movie came out. Which is, like, he had open heart surgery and died during it in the 90s. Which is very sad because I think he was a really cool actor. He has a really cool voice. Um, He basically keeps saying that the life like a brain will stay alive after the body's dead for six to 12 minutes that's it no more no less and uh herbert west is very he's breaking a pencil to disagree with him and it's very theatrical and funny um but dr hull's got this weird obsession with meg like dan comes to pick her up from the dean's house and he's all like like just like real rude to dan and like oh i can't believe you're letting meg hang out with dan and shit and you're like what the fuck does it matter you're like in your 60s and meg's like 23 and dan's like 23 and they're together shut up it's very weird um and then i think we lead into the first like real human body horror scene which is uh Dan sneaks past the really I like the security guard there's a security guard character and I can't remember what his character's name is off the top of my head but the actor who plays him is just really funny and like very personable and he seems like a real person that you would like hang out with like he's probably one of the only grounded characters in this movie 
And he kind of like is like, oh, I'm going to take a break if you're here, Dan, because everyone likes Dan. And they he sneaks Herbert West as a body into the morgue. And they're trying to find the freshest corpse out there so that they can see what happens with a human. And for some reason, they are idiots and pick, like, the biggest, like, buffest, like, corpse they can find. Like, the hardest to control body. Like, I would, like, put, like, a baby. Oh, not a baby. That would make me sad. But, like, like a tiny, frail person. Because you don't know what's yeah. going to happen. Have you not seen Night of the Living Dead? Come on, Dan. Um... But they go and shoot it up with the reagent, and he reanimates, and he's, like, angry and violent, and the dean is trying to catch them in the act, and they end up accidentally killing the dean. Um, And then the only, I don't know if this part got you, but there's a part where they're trying to stop the corpse from killing the dean, and Dan takes a bone saw and, like, pushes it all the way through the guy's chest from the back. That part's pretty gross. I will say that part gets me a little bit, yeah. but not that bad. I was like, I was like, oh, oh, that, that was disgusting. Um, yeah, it's definitely uncomfortable. Um, I also, um, I want, people probably already know this, but I do want to point out that this movie, it was kind of cool, too, because this was, like, one of the first incidents where we kind of seen zombies as violent and temperamental. Um, they're never exclusively... Uh, they're never exclusively called zombies in Reanimator, but that's basically what they are. So, yeah. And I think there's a scene, or there may I can't remember if I'm making up this dialogue, but I feel like I'm not. Where you know they're they they come out um, when they reanimate, they like scream, they scream or they cry out, and Herbert's like, "Yeah, well, it's mm-hmm. painful to be born." And like, I think he that says really... that when Rufus, yeah, when Rufus comes to life, he like Dan goes, yeah. "Why is it making that noise?" And he says birth is always painful you're like oh okay yeah that bothers that bothers me like that idea of like something like i always think of like pet cemetery sometimes dead is better like you know so yeah i mean in this case i would say so um now they they do reanimate the dean very early so there's a strong chance that he's going to be more like himself, but he's not completely like himself. And he is also being very violent. And so they basically put him in a straitjacket. And this is like Meg, Meg kind of breaks up with Dan and she's just like very angry with him because she sees that this is his fault. And you see that Meg is like a very protective person. And she's like, she's talking to Dr. Hill, who's trying to take advantage of her. And she's just like, I don't care whatever needs to be done. I will take care of him. You're not going to do anything to him. And he basically convinces her to let him do a procedure. She's not really for it, but she kind of lets him do it because she thinks it's the only hope for her dad to become himself again instead of just a dribbling, mindless zombie. And basically, like, he lobotomizes the Dean. And um, he's very controllable because... People who have been lobotomized lose a lot of their willpower and are very suggestible. And that's why a lot of people were lobotomized, which is a very sad thing. Um, One of the, I think one of the um, Kennedy siblings, was it Rosemary Kennedy or Rosalie? Yes, Rosemary. Yeah. Rosemary Rosemary, Kennedy was lobotomized and she wasn't really like a crazy person. She just like was kind of a free spirit from all accounts and they just couldn't have that i guess i don't know allegedly i don't really know maybe she had 
worse problems. But a lot of people that were quote unquote lobotomized, which if you've seen the first couple episodes of Ratchet, they do a lobotomy on some people. And like one of them is like a kid who's just like misbehaves. And then one is like a woman who, you know, back in the 50s, homosexuality was quote unquote a mental issue. It's not anymore. We all realize that now. But uh, like she's homosexual and they're like, oh, you want to fix your homosexuality with a lobotomy. I'm like, I don't really know how that's going to fix who you're attracted to. But okay, 1950s science, you suck. Um, Also, like, you don't need to fix it. It's fine. But um, I like they would do stuff for people who were like, quote unquote, not in the norm, like people who were different. I'm like, why can't you just, like, accept people who are different instead of lobotomizing them? But it was very popular, and they kind of viewed it as, like, a catch-all. So, I mean, lobotomies obviously don't really happen very much anymore, at least not in modern-day science, because it really takes a personality away from a person, and, you know, I don't think it's, I don't even think it's okay to do it. I think most doctors frown upon it nowadays. Unless there's literally something wrong with your frontal lobe. Like, they don't want to take your frontal lobe away. Um, So, basically, uh, Dr. Hill takes away his willpower, uh, the dean's willpower, and, like, Barbara, I said Barbara, (laughs) Meg doesn't really want him to, but I don't think, I feel like he kind of, like, misdirects her, so she doesn't really understand what she's saying okay to. Um, Which is the worst kind of a doctor, because you should always know what you're saying okay to. Um honestly, if you're having a procedure done or if you're signing off on someone else. Um, so her dad's like lobotomized and, um, somehow Dr. Hill finds himself in Herbert West's basement and, uh, Herbert West has alluded a lot to the fact that Dr. Hill is a plagiarist and he plagiarized a lot of Dr. Gruber's work and that he's kind of like one of those people that is very loud in his field and so people listen to him but he's not the idea person he's just the face of the idea and he kind of steals other people's ideas so yeah uh he's not a good person and he is basically going to plagiarize herbert west's reagent which leads to a very interesting scene where herbert west decides that what he has to do because it's his life's work uh is um murder dr hill in one of the most comedic ways by um chopping his head off with a shovel and then he immediately reanimates him which i'm like why why would you reanimate him and uh you have like like because he's like the freshest because like because like herbert's like idea is like the fresher they are the better so it's like literally he's been dead for seconds so which is actually the correct theory because when he reanimates Dr. Hill, Dr. Hill is essentially the same person. Yeah, just a lot eviler. Like, really evil, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, and yeah, and then it leads to some funny bits because he, oh, what is he? He's like, he's like, oh, I haven't tried just parts yet. So he, he shoots, he gives some reagent into the brain and he also does it to the heart of the body. So then the body and the head are kind of working together, but separately. And he gets knocked out and Dr. Hill steals all of his serum. And then Dr. Hill has a comical entrance into the morgue where he puts like a, like a fake face on. It's, it's kind of like a kid in a, like a, 
like in a trench coat kind of situation. He's got his like surgical gear on and he's got like a surgical mask on. And um, he's like walking in and the security guard barely looks up. He's like, oh, hey, Dr. Hill, what's up? He's like, yes, hello. Um, it's very funny. Um, also, I did have to, ask, have to ask my mom because my mom's a nurse. Even though she's, she's not a surgical, she doesn't like bone things. So she doesn't really like like bones it's the one thing that grosses her out is bones um but i asked her i was like mom aren't you supposed to wear a face mask when you like saw through bone because it's not good to inhale bone like you can actually get a lot of illnesses and you can permanently damage your lungs she's like i mean yeah you should and at the very least eye uh protection dr hill was like sawing through people's skulls before he was headless and he doesn't ever wear a surgical mask but all of a sudden he's headless he's like let me pop on that surgical mask for me i was like i don't like i don't know it always i always like to ask my mom when we watch anything with medical stuff because i'm always like so would you really do this she's like no like you would definitely wear a mask and eye protection so dr hill's playing fast and loose with the rules y'all like and uh, like for his own health so maybe that's why he's going crazy because he's inhaled too much bone i don't know um but he's got this little laser drill that he's drilling through everybody's head um, which I, I don't know if that's a thing. Uh, I know there are laser drills, but I don't think you're really supposed to drill through someone's forehead like that. Like, it seems like it would be gross and maybe not okay. <laughs> I guess it cauterizes the wound? I don't know. That would bother me. I would not be okay with that. Um, but yeah, so he goes into the morgue and he's has all the re, uh, reagent and he's, like, lobotomizing corpses and um uh reanimating them basically so he can control them and he's done that to meg's father and he tells dean halsey the zombie dean halsey to go get his daughter and basically dan goes over to meg's house because he's been going through um the uh dr hill's files to figure out where he is and he finds this creepy file of meg's hair and all these creepy pictures of her and he goes over to meg's house and he's like i know you're really mad at me about your dad but i was just really worried about you and she's just like she's like i wanted to hate you but i still love you and they're just about to kiss and her dad like pops through the door and is like meg well he doesn't say anything but he just basically kidnaps her to go to dr hill in the morgue and then we get to the scene that everyone talks about which is the quote-unquote giving head scene um which was on Bravo's Scariest Movie Moments, which I, I think is actually legit scary. Yeah, it is. Dr. Hill, like, because most of the time he's literally in, like, a dish with, like, blood. And, like, he even opens up, his body opens up pla- packets of blood for his head to soak in. And he's like, ah, ah. Like, that's, like, Jesus legitimately, Christ. like, scary. Just a little bit. Like, I'm like, oh, I know it's, like, special effects. And realistically, they probably, like, cut a hole in the table and put, like, this thing over his head, and it's not real, but it, like, it's nasty looking, and it kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies mm-hmm. a little bit, to be honest. Yeah, and then the fact that he's, he gets so villainous. Like, he is creepy from the beginning, but he's not really, he, he's got, like, a limit. And then, basically, he not only kidnaps Meg, he forces her own father to strip her of all of her clothes, and then, like, tie her body like she has like a uh, wrist and leg um what do they call them restraints like like the padded ones that you see in mental hospitals like so she's restrained she's completely passed out 
and she wakes up and she I I give her credit she got out of that first restraint really easily and she knocks off the fake head and she sees the Dr. Hill head just like there and she's just screaming and I'm like I don't know what else I would do and she can't kick him because her legs are restrained and it's like the I hate that scene because like I'm like I don't like that is the worst thing to be restrained it's one thing to like I mean being sexually assaulted is never okay and it's never one's better than the other but uh, the fact that you're restrained and you literally can't physically fight back is the scariest thing I've ever heard of. There's nothing I hate more than being like completely restrained and not having freedom, like just emotionally. And I'm like, I cannot imagine what I would do if I woke up and I was restrained and someone was assaulting me. Like, it's one thing when you can like fight them off because you, you have some power left, yeah. but when they take away your ability to even fight back at all, like that is just fucking frightening and even though it is kind of a silly short scene because it's a head trying to give her head because he i don't know i don't understand why he has to give her head like but it's still creepy um it's really scary and also like he gets real touchy and like there's no cutting away like you see all of barbara crampton um except i don't think you see like her genitals but you see like all of her yeah, because he's, like, he's, like, very much filling on her breasts. Yeah. They're filling, so you can see where, yeah, they're filling on her breast, and then, um, and then he has his head on her breast, and he's, like, licking her breast, too. So, I mean, that's all there. Yeah, and licking her face, ugh, it's so gross. It reminded me of, like, the, the thing, or, like, the body horror, or, like, or, like, Freddy from Friday the 13th with, like, the tongue coming out of the phone. Like, it was that kind of gross. Like, ugh. Um, and, uh, she, like, uh, it's so gross. Um, but apparently the actor who played Dr. Hill, David Gale, his wife divorced him shortly after the film was released, and a lot, or the filming finished, and a lot of people speculate, not knowing for sure, that that scene was why she divorced him, was because he was, like, feeling up on Barbara Crampton, but I'm like, well, it was a movie. Like, it's, I don't know about their personal lives together, but I've never heard that they dated or anything, so I don't think it was actually anything. It was just, you know, it was a role, and I don't know. Like, he was playing a villain. What did you think was going to happen? I don't know. When, I don't know. When you're married to an actor, sometimes you got to be okay with stuff, but you should always, like, I do think you should discuss things with your partner that are going to go on on a show or... A movie, like, it's like, was it Charlie Hunnam was originally supposed to be, like, uh, what's this, Mr. Gray on Fifty Shades of Gray, and his wife was like, hell no, and then he had to quit, and that's how Jamie Dornan got it. Like, some people are fine with it. Like, Jamie Dornan's wife was fine with it. Um, other people's wives are not fine with it, and that's your relationship, so you should discuss it first, but I don't know, that's, that's a speculation, but... Um, it is pretty intense, and it is, like, I mean, it stops before it gets terrible, but it's still, like, really, really creepy, and I think that's why it's scary, because I don't know anyone who sees that scene and thinks it's funny. Like, even though it is, like, heightened reality, it's really scary because Barbara Crampton gives such a fearless performance, and you really believe her, because, like, she's, and this is the scene where I'm, like, she's in control of the situation. She doesn't. 
there was another actress who was supposed to play this part originally, I believe, and, like, she quit because of the scene, and, like, Barbara Crampton was like, I'm okay with it, I'm gonna do it because, and I'm gonna be in control, and I think you can tell that this was obviously an okay working environment, um, because unlike B-movies, like, there's a terrible story from one of the canon films where Marina Sirtis, who played Deanna Troy in the Star Trek Next Generation movies, she apparently, like, was in a rape scene in a canon film, and she's, like, topless because a lot of B-movies, like, use rape for, like, oh, you can see tits, we'll get more views. Um, so she's, like, topless in this scene, and they're trying to light the scene, and it, she was, like, outside, I think, and she was really cold, and she asked if she could, like, wear a sweater while they were fixing the lighting and they're like no because we gotta light your boobs or something and it was just like and she was like really just like uncomfortable and it was just like dirty and gross and she felt very you know taken advantage of um that's a lot of stories when you hear about scenes like this but like it's very obvious that barbara crampton was in complete and total control and was comfortable with the situation and i think that's why it's so powerful is because like it doesn't feel like it's dirty on the filmmaker's part. Like, the filmmaker isn't doing anything wrong. They're just being honest with what would happen if this situation happened on someone. And I think it's the best way you can portray that kind of a situation. Um, unlike Rob Zombie, who I feel like every time he has a rape scene, it's just for shock value. You know? Also, this one stops at a certain point. Like, it grosses you out, and you're like, oh god, oh god, it's gonna happen. Oh no, oh no, oh no. And then it stops, and you're like, oh thank god. Okay, I can start laughing again. So, um, yeah, Herbert West breaks it up kind of being a hero, but not really. Um, <laughs> let's face because it, Herbert he, West Because even when he breaks hero, it up, he he's does like come a, in. When he breaks it up, he's still like an asshole because he's like, Dr. Hill, I expected better out of you. And it's like, oh, he's literally yeah. like sexually assaulting this girl that's tied down. And he's like, you're not a real scientist. You're playing around with co-eds or whatever. And I'm like, oh, once again, like it's. Oh, yeah. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, she's not a co-ed. She's like a fucking student, dick. Anyways, but Dan does come in behind him and kind of spirits uh, Meg to the side. But, oh, no, all the zombies come out and they have to start fighting off corpses. And it gets very silly. And there's at one point where, like, intestines are, like, strangling Herbert West. And basically, like, um, he tries to overload Dr. Hill with the reagent. He tries to give him an overdose like he did with Dr. Gruber in the beginning. Because I was like, he accidentally overdosed Dr. Gruber, which is why he died while his eyeballs exploded so he's trying to do the same thing to dr hill but it only makes him more powerful and intestines squeezing him and so he finally is like they're all kind of uh they they kill dean halsey after he protects meg um and they rip his body apart which was it was it's in shadow so it's kind of a cool scene but it's also real gross um and then um meg and Dan are trying to escape and basically like Herbert West is like oh they're all gonna kill me so don't forget my reagent and so they're trying to escape and like just when you think they're gonna get out of there this random zombie strangles Meg to death and Dan takes her to the other wing of the hospital where he was working the same doctor who was helping him before she's there 
and they try to resuscitate her and they can't. But Dan still has the reagent. And for some reason, Dan's like, yeah, let me just shoot up my girlfriend. Because uh, she's only been dead a couple seconds. And um, uh, it cuts to black and you hear Meg screaming. And that's how the movie ends. And I thought it was a lovely little um, bookmark. Because when you meet Dan, he's trying to save somebody, but he can't save them. And the same thing happens in the end. But because it's Meg, he's like, eh, it's fine. I'll risk it. Because he just really loves her. And he knows it was his fault. Um, yeah, it's very weird. Um, but I kind of love it. And there are also were sequels to this movie. Um, but I haven't seen the sequels yet, although I've been interested in them. I think they actually are streaming on either Prime or Shudder. So, um, you can watch the sequels to Reanimator. It's Bride of Reanimator and Beyond Reanimator, I think. Not 100% sure. And that's something that really shocked me rewatching it again for the first time in so many years is that in my head, for some reason, I legitimately thought Meg survived. And I don't know where I got that from. Well, yeah, kinda. she kind of does, but like I was like genuinely shocked when she was dead, dead, like flatlined. And I guess like, you know, maybe I somehow mixed it in my head because you do hear her screaming, but I was like legitimately shocked when she died. I did not see it coming. I thought for sure she lived, so... I honestly think I thought that I forget she dies every time I watch this movie and I've probably seen it five times by now but the last time I watched it because when we were when I was re-watching it for the Hallow's Dream list I didn't finish all of it because I had got interrupted and I was like oh well we're not gonna fully review it so I don't need to finish it anyways so I was re-watching I was like oh yeah Meg dies oh shit um also you have no idea if Herbert West is dead or alive at the end um, Dan's the only one for sure alive. Yeah. Um, and you don't know if Meg is a zombie like or she lived. came back as herself. Um, so, yeah. And instead of doing, like, a direct sequel, they did a sequel called From Beyond, which Barbara Crampton plays a scientist and Jeffrey Combs, I think, is also a scientist. And there's, I think, a couple other characters. And basically, there's, like, a, like, a, in your frontal lobe, there is a lobe that they are they are experimenting with stimulation of and people are like seeing other dimensions and then like the other dimensions start to bleed into the real world and it gets all weird and body body horror-y just like this movie um but again i've had the hardest time finding it on streaming so i haven't gotten to watch it before but um barbara crampton like i think she starts out as like a stuffy scientist and then one of the side effects to that is like it makes you really like overly sexually stimulated and like she ends up like i feel like she's like in a dominatrix outfit at some point i could be wrong but i feel like i've heard that um but she's i i like barbara crampton i think she's one of the best parts of this movie because again meg's not the main character but she is like the smartest character because even though herbert west is brilliant he's kind of crazy and meg's smart but she's also like she's got street smarts too like she's like yeah, I don't fucking trust this guy. Whereas Dan's just like, it's fine. It's all good. It's great. Yeah, I don't know. Um, which is why Dan needs Meg. Which is probably why he reanimated her corpse. Um, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. So, this was, I don't know. I, I still like this movie. How do you feel about this movie now that you've watched it for the first time since you were a child? It's fun. 
Yeah, it's fun. I like it. I feel like it's a good, like, little spooky watch. I like the runtime. I like how there's not really lull in the action. It's like usually it's like one kind of chaotic or kind of fun or weird scene after another. Um, I guess like my only thing is is that like I I feel like I would enjoy watching it if I had people watching it with me. To me, it feels more like a group movie um, than a watch by yourself movie. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I agree. I've never watched this with other people before. I feel like it'd be so fun. But I think it would be. I think you're right. Also, I want to have, like, a reanimator, um, like, party. I want to dress up like Meg for Halloween. What I just, I should just have, like, a pink, like, onesie. Like, because she was just, also, Meg is wearing, like, the, like, the most school marmy nightgown, and I love it so much. I love when, like, really, like, like, you know, you always think of, like, college co-eds of, as wearing, like, cute little nightgowns. But, like, nobody wears that shit to bed in college. Like, nobody fucking cares. And she's just wearing, like, this long-ass nightgown with long sleeves. And I was like, that's probably what you would actually wear in the 80s. Because nobody dresses in sexy lingerie when they go to bed. That's uncomfortable. You don't want that. That's gross. Um, but I just love that she's in, like, a really, like, unflattering outfit. But I'm definitely not going to go as Meg in the other scene because i'm not going to be naked in public i'm sorry no offense to people who are nudists more power to you i literally i literally had a nightgown like the one she's wearing at the end but it was like a banana <laughs> yellow color with lace trim i wore it when i was like 14 and i, I did it. too but like... it was plaid it was like my mom bought them for me and my sister for christmas and i wore it like every christmas for a couple years till i outgrew it it was, like, legit, like, oh, nightgown. It's the 90s. Um, some interesting fun facts is the special effects department went through 24 gallons of fake blood during the shoot, which is pretty disgusting. <laughs> it's a lot of blood. Um, that's a lot of blood to go through. Because I know Britt Brit and I were both involved. She was in the show, and then I did hair and makeup for it in a show called The Bacchae in college. And we had fake blood we covered a person in fake blood a a man a six foot three man every night in blood um we poured a gap it was like a half gallon of blood on him every day i feel like for like six shows and we still had a giant tub of horse lube left over because i remember our costume makeup teacher being like, I don't know what I'm going to do with all this fucking horse lube. Except open up, like, a staple. Because, <laughs> oh, because uh, you can use horse lube as fake blood. Uh, they used horse blood, chocolate syrup, or maybe in corn syrup, and, like, food safe dye. Oh, no, it was tempera paint. That's what it was. Because we didn't want to dye anyone's skin. But there was something about the food dye that wasn't melding well. But it was horse lube. And the only way you can get horse lube is in giant buckets and so like we went through six shows plus dress rehearsals and i think we still had like almost a full bucket of horse lube left and i don't know what she did with it i'm curious maybe she did open up an equestrian stable um but (laughs) um that's a lot of blood to go through and actually use um so that's a lot there's a lot of really cool gore in here um i will say to to give some negatives um there are some times where I think the humor kind of overtakes some seriousness of some of the scenes. 
Um, but it's mostly pretty well, like, leveled out. And then there's also, like, a couple times where, like, um, especially Dr. Hill, he's, like, carrying around the head. And you can tell the body is a little too wide because he's obviously, like, like bent over and it's, like, shoulder width where his, like, hips are. So it's kind of, like, it. there's a little bit of, like... Like, not great special effects, but I think it's the best they could do for the time, especially since they didn't have computer-generated images. They just had um, CGI. I mean, I just said the whole thing. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it's getting late. We started a little late tonight. Sorry, guys. My brain has gone. Um, but they didn't really have CGI in the 80s, and I think they did a really good job with what they had. I think it's it's pretty believable. It was a little cartoony, but it's pretty believable. And I think if it wasn't such a campy movie, the cartoon violence probably wouldn't work as well. But I think the tone of the film makes it work. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. No, I um, I would say that's kind of like my thing too, is that I'm probably going to get some flack for saying this. Um, So it's a very, very specific type of movie. um, And I feel like it's not going to click. Um, if you're the type of person that, like, loves horror, you love body horror, you love comedy, or you love, like, you know, you know, like, weird, like, I don't know, like, weird movies, like, this is, like, your niche. But it's a very specific type of movie, and honestly, there was some scenes, especially in the beginning, where I could literally feel myself zoning out watching it. Yeah. Uh Like... When it's good. So when you have, like, the scene with Rufus or when you have, like, the scene in the morgue or, like, the zombie melee at the end, it's, like, really fun and weird and, like, gross. But there's a lot of, like, scenes that are just over the top and uh, kind of slow, which is, it's, it's, it's meant to be that way. So it's meant to be over the top acting, and I get it. But at the same time, it's just for me as a viewer, I felt myself kind of zoning out and disconnecting okay. during those slower paced moments that would last like a couple of seconds or minutes I should say. I think say. that's fair though like I tend to feed on the camp. I like camp so like I was like yes yes give me more campiness hooray but like I can see how it would take you out of it too because I will say the first time I saw this movie um, the way that Bravo scariest movie moments kind of presented this movie was much creepier and scarier. And I did not realize it was a horror comedy. So I think I, my expectation was that I wasn't going to laugh. And so when I finally watched it and was like, oh, this is funny. Like, I loved it. Um, So I watch it more like for shits and giggles than anything else. Um, But I do, I enjoy the camp. Um, But I think like, yeah, it's, I, I wouldn't call it like a horror movie. I do think it's a, it's definitely strange and spoopy. Um, and it is very Halloween-y because there's obviously Frankenstein references, and then there's the Lovecraft shit going on. Um, oh, yeah. And I, I think it does it does pose the question of, like, playing God with life and death. Like, that is an interesting concept, which Lovecraft usually has something like that in it, which I think is why it's withstood the test of time. Um, I mean, Cthulhu, heck, Cthulhu made it onto a flippin' episode of South Park. So, I mean, you know, my little brother has a Cthulhu, um, Cthulhu. uh, oh, Cartman. Uh, <laughs> I love Cartman. I hate Cartman, though. Cartman's an asshole, and he's, like, a terrible person, but he is a funny character. Um, Cartman is downright evil. Um, 
But uh, my little brother even has like a Cthulhu like stuffed animal. He got it like a Comic Con once. Uh, so yeah, Lovecraft is has some cool, interesting things, which I think is why people kind of look past the fact that he wasn't a super cool guy. Uh, he was, like I said, he was very elitist and probably a little racist, um, slash, uh, religious. I don't know. I guess it's still racist. I guess it was in the twenties. So I guess people didn't like Irish people back then. Those are my people. So I guess I was like, I was like, Oh, Irish Catholics. didn't like us. Oh, that's a little upsetting. But I guess he's the classic wasp elitist. He was, he was definitely a wasp and he definitely was an elitist. But I guess the good thing is he kind of stopped being quite so bluntly rude to other people and just became kind of like an intelligence elitist. And I think that's maybe what Herbert West is kind of representing is that he thinks that he's better than everybody else because he's so smart, but he's actually a complete and total asshole. Whereas somebody like, uh, Meg is actually a much smarter person than him because she sees through his bullshit. Um, and she's not going to be fooled by him. So I don't know. I think, I think maybe you're supposed to see a little bit of Lovecraft in Herbert West. Um, which maybe is why he's not really a likable character, but he's an interesting character. Um, yeah, I would agree yeah. with that. Also, I, I read somewhere that Barbara Crampton was like, which this is what I thought when I was watching this movie the, like for the fifth time. The part where he puts the fake head on his shoulder, where Dr. Hill puts the fake head on his shoulders, why didn't he just put his real head on his shoulders? And Barbara Crampton asked the filmmakers that, I guess, after they had filmed it, and they were like, I don't, I don't know. She's like, I mean, why can't he just put his head on his shoulders if he could put the fake head? They're like, uh, I don't know. We didn't think about that. <laughs> but it was funny, so it's fine. Also, like, that part where she knocks off the fake head and there's just a stump of a neck with blood coming out of it was really cool. So, um, and apparently the woman that they're trying to resuscitate in the beginning of the movie was a dildo enthusiast, quote-unquote, and she used to hide dildos in the morgue scenes all around. So maybe if you watch it this time, maybe look out for some dildos hiding around. I don't know. I, that was I didn't know that. I was reading that today, and I was like, okay. Uh, it's like um, Quentin Tarantino with the dildo in your face if you fall asleep on set. I think that's... Isn't that Quentin Tarantino or am I crazy? Uh, if you fall asleep on set, what? He like, he, like, takes a picture of you with a dildo next to your face. I haven't heard about that. I, I, I heard about his mental breakdown with cell phones, but I haven't heard about the dildo thing. That's interesting. I could have sworn um, Daryl Hannah said that if you fall asleep on set with Quentin Tarantino, he takes, like, a big pink dildo and, like, takes a picture of you next to it asleep <laughs> on set. That's pretty funny. I, I would do something I think like true. that. I would do something like that. <laughs> Which is, it's pretty funny, but also, like, sometimes, like, sets can be really boring, so I don't really blame people for taking a nap. But, um, yeah, I think the writing's smart, though, and I think there's a lot of cool foreshadowing in this movie, and I don't know if that's more Lovecraft or the writers, the screenplay writers, but I think it's really good. Um, I would recommend this for people who like goofy and gross things but i don't think i could recommend this to like a general audience because i think it does get 
like the rape scene and the body horror i think could be intense for a general audience you know i agree um i would i would recommend this for people who like cult movies um who maybe like bihar films um for people who like uh uh very like dark humor or maybe very dramatic humor um, so yeah, definitely not a bad movie. I will say I, um, uh, me personally, I probably give it a seven out of 10. Um, I don't quite think it's the eight point for me, but I feel like a six or lower may be harsh. I think there's a lot of really cool elements to this movie. I think it's definitely a classic. I think it's definitely fun. Um, I like how short and sweet. I just, it didn't hit all the right spots for me. I think just in my opinion. Um, I would give it like a 7.5 cuz I definitely love it. I love this movie. I love watching every time I watch it I'm in, I enjoy it. Um, but yeah, I think there's some faults in it that it's not a perfect movie. Um, but it's fun and it's campy and I really like it. Um, and I'm sad they the this production team really only did two movies together cuz I really like it. I do think this movie was kind of ahead of its time. I think if it had been released, like, look how big Cabin Fever was. And that, like, has gross body horror in it. But Cabin Fever is, like, a terrible... It's not very well written. It's terribly written. Whereas this one is a smart, intelligent, written film. Um, I do want to see the the sequels. I'm curious what they're like. Um, they do mostly have Jeffrey Combs in it. And Jeffrey Combs has kind of become, like, a B-movie superstar like people like legit like sell movies on the fact that he's a cameo in it so um it did make him pretty famous and i think he really makes this movie worth watching because he just delivers these campy lines so well and so over the top and i think he really does well i don't think there's really a weak performance in this movie like even the the doctor in the beginning and the security guard which are probably the two standout secondary characters like they might be the only secondary characters they like they stand out and they do really good performances and i think uh it's a good movie and i think people should watch it but probably not for the faint of heart um did you have a rating for it i did it's really goofy but i rated it h for headless bodies handling heads (laughs) i kind of like that um, I had two for B and then one for N, uh, rated B for boobalicious body horror. And then <laughs> this one, I was like, I don't know if boobalicious is appropriate because it's not really Barbara Crampton's fault that she's topless. Um, but then rated B for buxom blondes and body horror. And then rated N for never room with a guy named Herbert. <laughs> But I like yours. I like the headless body one. You like the headless body one? Awesome. Yeah. I so, do. headless bodies handling heads. It's like a little tongue twister. So, I think I'm going to throw you for a little bit of a loop. Uh, I know what I originally had planned, but I'm actually going to change it for next week. Oh. So I was looking, and I pray to God that I'm not, like, lacking sleep and I have it wrong, but I was randomly looking, and I think it was for Prime. I can't remember if it's Prime or Shutter. I may need your help looking it up at a glance. But there was a movie I saw that I've wanted to see for years. Um, it is one of the first scary movies to have a major twist at the end. 
It was on Bravo's uh, Hundred Movie Moments. Um, and it also, I've seen it on like maybe 12 or 15 horror movie lists. Um, and so I've always heard this movie, never saw it, never saw it streaming. Um, but I think I saw it on Amazon Prime. And I was like, oh my god, I want to watch this movie. And I definitely want to watch it before there's a chance it'll leave the streaming. Um, but don't look now. <gasps> yes! Oh, I'm so glad! Yes, I think it's on our list too, because I've always wanted to see this movie. Um, I It was on Shudder a long time ago. Then it was one of those things where like, I went to go watch it, and it was automatically off. Um, let me see which one it's on. I, so, yes. The scene that is in the Bravo Scariest Movie Moment scared the shit out of me when I watched that. But also Donald Sutherland is in it. And I love Donald Sutherland probably because of many things he's, he was in. Um, he's, he's a fabulous actor. I love Donald Sutherland. He has a beautiful voice. But if you've ever seen the movie Animal House, he plays a pot smoking college professor. And that's one of my favorite films. Um, my best friend Kat and I used to watch it in high school and college. Uh, my nickname from her is Boone from Animal House because Boone's girlfriend's name is Katie and she just calls me Boone and that's who I am. Um, (laughs) she and I used to watch it and one of my favorite parts of the movie is part where Donald Sutherland comes out in only a shirt and he reaches up to get something from the top shelf. It's just Donald Sutherland's butt. And it's just really funny. It's like, it's not a sexy butt. It's just a funny butt. And he's such a classy actor and he sends so many brilliant things, but he also is, was in Animal House and doesn't care if you see his ass. I love Donald Sutherland. Um, but I think this movie... I think, if I know, I haven't seen it all the way through. Oh, it's on Prime. Okay. In CBS Prime. All Access. Okay. So it's on two different formats. Um, but I do believe this movie is kind of focusing on grief because I do believe the two main characters, it's a husband and wife whose child has tragically died. Yes. And kind of like the changeling, it's one of those kind of situations where they're in the throes of grief and um, some creepy stuff starts happening around them and they're trying to figure it out. Um, so I'm excited because I have, this is one of those movies that I've almost watched so many times. Um, and it's on at, at least Amazon prime video and CBS all access, which for me, I have it as an add on. Um, I don't even remember why I got CBS all access. I know it was for a specific show, and then my dad started watching Star Trek Discovery on it, on my account, and I didn't have the heart to delete it because he really likes Star Trek. Uh, and then Picard came on, and he's really liked Picard, which I've heard very mixed things about. Haven't actually sat down and watched it though. Um, I'm excited. So next week is Don't Look Now. Woo! It's a '70s horror movie. All we're bringing you. Yeah. I love '70s horror. We're bringing. Yes, I was about to say, so 1973, it is a classic. Me and Katie haven't seen it. Um, the ending has been ruined for me, um, but that's okay. It's okay. It's me all about too, the I journey. Think. Yeah, it's about the journey. It's about the ride. I'm still very excited. There's also a did they or did they not really have sex scene in this movie, which I'm really interested in seeing too. Oh. Yeah. I know that I sounds know really perverted. That. Like in um, real life or just like yeah. in the... Yeah, it's still, like, supposedly, if I'm remembering correctly, it's still pretty hotly debated whether they actually did have sex or not. Um, 
in this movie oh, while they were like filming. Oh, on camera? Mm-hmm. Ew. Okay. I mean, I guess it's not ew. I don't know. I have, like, weird feelings about that because I'm kind of, like, I want to respect people for, like, being realistic, but then I'm also, like, well, I just, I feel like if you can fake it well, why do you need to actually have sex on camera? Yeah. In my opinion. That's and just it may me. be it may be an urban legend too, so I'm so sorry because I, I try to be conscious of like I don't want to spread rumors. That's something I've always heard about this movie. Obviously, by the time we talk about it next week, I will do my due diligence just to actually see um, if that's a rumor. But that's always something I've heard about this movie. Um, so those are the, the two things you mainly I've heard from this movie, even though I've never seen it. I've heard about that scene, and then obviously the twist ending because for a long time. Nowadays, we're kind of used to twist endings and horrors, but back in the day, it was legitimately shocking um, what happened at the end of this movie. So, it's like, I don't know, I'm really, really excited to see it, though. Me too. I really am, because this is one of those movies that I've been, like, excited and yet afraid to watch at the same time. So, but I kind of get Changeling vibes, and I love Changeling so much, um... Oh, it was so good. I'm so glad you got us to watch that movie because it was so good. Um, so I'm hoping this one's also good. Um, and thanks for watching Reanimator because I really like this movie and it was a nice, fun distraction for me this week. Um, and I hope people liked Reanimator. I think it's campy and fun, but uh, definitely I think this next one's going to be more deeply serious, like legit scary movie because it was in like the... The time when, like, the omen was coming out and things like that, which is, and Rosemary's Baby and stuff that's legitly terrifying, which I guess Rosemary's Baby was in the 60s, but uh, Rosemary's Baby is, well, no, was it 69? I yeah, think it, 69. I think it was, like, 67, if I'm not mistaken, because it oh, was okay. being I couldn't filmed while... It was before or after, you know. Yeah, I think they were actually, I think they were post-production, if I'm not mistaken, um, when Sharon was murdered. So, I want to say it was definitely late 60s, but I think it was 67. I could be wrong, but I feel like that's yeah. the right year. Well, I guess, isn't the whole thing June 6, 1966? Isn't that, like, why oh, they released I, it? I don't know if that's the case. I do remember um, the remake of the um, Omen was 666, because it was June 6, 2006. I do remember that, so. Yeah. But, yeah, legit, legit scary 70s horror movies, which... Uh, I think Donald Sutherland is also in The Omen. I think he's the dad in The Omen, right? Oh! Uh, no, he's not the dad. The dad is another actor. And the only reason I remember because the dad... Oh, 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 it's, um... Fuck, um... Now I'm gonna have to look it up. I was thinking it was Atticus Finch, but I'm like, that's not right. That's not right. Um, let me see. Is it Atticus F Not Gregory Peck? Is it Gregory Peck? Oh, you know what? I think it is Gregory Peck. It is. It is yeah. Gregory Peck. Okay. I kind of get them mixed up sometimes because they're both very tall men who have, like, very, like, cool voices. Mm -hmm. um, and they played a lot of dads growing up. <laughs> but Donald Sutherland's definitely more scraggly looking, like, which is not a bad thing. Scraggly men are hot. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> but he's definitely more of a scraggly, like, um... I don't know what I'm doing kind of guy. I Is it just me or, like, Phantom of the Paradise, the main character? Not the not the music producer, but the writer. The guy who plays him reminds me of Donald Sutherland. And I always, like, think, why didn't they just have Donald Sutherland play this part? Although I think the guy does a fabulous job. I just think Donald Sutherland looks just like this man. Um, 
Anyways, I'm excited. Yay. Um, I don't think there's Yay. anything else to talk about with Reanimator except go watch it and maybe the sequels. Yes, yes. As always, if you do, um, please, please, please tell us. Um, I do like to take this time as we wrap up um, just to check in. I hope, we hope you guys are doing well. I say I, but I think I can speak for Take Katie too when I talk this. Um, <laughs> at the end this, of this day, we hope you are doing well. I hope you're taking care of yourself. I hope you did something for yourself today, even if it was just to allow yourself to take a nap. Um, please, please drink your water. Drink at least a glass for me right now. Um, I hope you're having a good evening. Uh, thank you so much for listening to us. Um, we are so happy you're here with us tonight on this podcast. Um, and Katie, I will let you speak. So Yes. Yeah, and remember, it's okay to not be okay. And one of the reasons we like watching horror movies is it can be very cathartic. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's okay to watch a movie and cry and uh, take your vitamins, kids. Take your vitamins. Wear a mask. Flu season is upon us, so we're going to yes. be battling COVID and flu. So get your flu shot. I need to get mine this weekend. Um, never underestimate the power of a nap. Uh, I saw a couple children today that should have taken naps before they came into my work. And they just said <laughs> that I need a nap face. And I told I told their parent, I was like, she isn't. She was like, I don't know if they gave her the nap at preschool. And I was like, you know what? She's got that. I need a nap face. But I was like, I get that too, because sometimes I just need a nap. I had two cups of coffee tonight because I was like so tired when I got home from work. But uh, naps are good, and we all need naps sometimes, guys. And just take care of yourself. And I have to thank Britt. This is gonna air several weeks, but she had a very lovely post because I forgot it was like World Mental Health Day a couple days ago, and she was just like. It's okay. You had a beautiful post. I won't even oh, say what you. it is because I won't come close to saying how pretty and thoughtful it was. But I was just like, oh, wow. I'm so lucky to have such a thoughtful co-host who, like, oh. thinks about everybody's well-being. And I'm not You're very so good sweet. at... No, it's true, though. Um, I'm not good at uh, being, uh, like as eloquent about it as Brit is but we do love you guys and I really appreciate all the support that has been thrown our way we've gotten a lot of new followers the last couple days especially and I don't know if it's the spoopy season or what or if um people are just finding the podcast but thank you for all the support and um it really means a lot to us because we have a lot of fun doing this and um it's more fun the more people listen to it so yeah um, spread the news and we're uh, we're a yeah. small podcast too. Um, thanks for listening. We're a small podcast, so yeah. And I and I I'm so sorry. We're having little technical difficulties. So Katie's gonna be listening to this and just hearing me go. We're a small podcast, like five times. Um, but um, <laughs> the thing about yeah, us our being a sound is being weird. <laughs> the thing about us being a small podcast is that literally every single one of you um, that is listening really does mean so much to us so when we have people write us movie recommendations or comment on our instagram we're we're kind of honestly like excited um in a way you guys are more like our celebrities um not that we're celebrities anyway i didn't mean it like that but what i'm saying is that like when you guys comment (laughs) or send us little messages we're like oh my god did you see blah blah blah's message and how they recommend we should say this or did you see that 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 loved reanimator maybe we should talk about doing reanimator and um so it's so important to us that you guys comment and give us feedback it makes us feel so good and so appreciative and we definitely want to know we're there for you um our messages are always open um if you guys want to chat um you are with us being so you know 
so little still, which is okay. There's nothing wrong with it. It really does feel make us feel more connected to you guys as our listeners. Um, so yeah, we honestly, sincerely mean this from the bottom of our heart. Thank you for listening. Um, we so appreciate each and every one of you. It's completely and totally seconded. I can't top that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we do appreciate you guys so much, and it means a lot, and it's fun, and um, thanks for listening and watching movies and responding i love it so much um but good night we'll see you guys next week stay spoopy y'all yeah we can't wait to see you of course we're here same spoopy time same spoopy channel we love you guys night 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 katie night Britt. Bye. bye the grindhouse girls podcast is a production by katie dale and Brittany ray and edited by Katie Dale. All music used is royalty-free and will be in our annotations. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, please contact us at contact us at grindhousegirlspod.com or visit our website at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.